finding time, talent, and funding to accomplish all the things nonprofit leaders and small business owners are responsible for while boosting the bottom line is a never-ending battle. You'll hear from nonprofit veteran and social entrepreneur, Dr. Bradley Carroll Cook, how he is generating solutions to this age-old issue with virtual assistance through his organization, Super Virtuals, on this episode of Making Our World Better. Welcome to the Making Our World Better podcast, where you will find motivation and encouragement through lively conversations with inspirational people who every day are making our world a better place. Now, here's your host, Jay Clark. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jay Clark, and I'm excited to introduce our first guest of 2023, growth hacker and social entrepreneur, Dr. Bradley Carroll Cook. Since an early age, Dr. Cook has been dedicated to repairing and inspiring the world. His gift comes in the form of creating simple solutions to complex problems. He formed a nonprofit named Career Up Now when he was living in Israel to connect young adults through their careers. Can't wait to hear about that. He also founded a national mentorship nonprofit, so he knows firsthand how difficult it can be for leaders to manage administrative functions and staffing when operating budgets force organizations to run very lean. This led to his work with virtual assistants and his latest organization, Super Virtuals, which was formed to help nonprofit organizations and small businesses with operational functions that can fully delegate these tasks so leaders can work on their businesses, not in their businesses. And I can't wait to get into it and talk all about it. Dr. Cook, welcome and thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm. Uh, I'm. Ex- this is a great way to end uh, 2022, going into 2023. So, thanks for having me as a guest. Oh, I'm. I'm excited to get into it. So, starting from ground zero, for somebody that doesn't know anything about virtual assistants, how would you describe the technology? Yeah. So, just to share a little bit of a backstory to jump yeah, into please. that. Um, so, I found myself in 2012 moving to Israel, a foreign country, uh, and quickly started uh, a nonprofit there because there was a need for it. There's a program called Birthright that brings young Jewish adults to Israel for a a week long, uh, basically a free vacation to connect them with their heritage. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. And I had the I saw that there were so many coming on birthright, but they didn't have a connection or they didn't have an experience afterwards. So I said, you know, I'm going to create a post experience where they can experience the social good and each of the like different elements, the culture that Israel had to offer. And when I did that, I had no idea what I was going to get into because my background is education and special education. Uh, I have my doctorate in. And so I didn't know what I was doing. And I said, you know, the way that I'm going to be able to do this, since I have no money to do it yet, is I'm going to be able, I I should be able to find individuals that I can outsource to. Um, Otherwise, you really get bogged down in the business. But I had no idea how to do that. So I ran the nonprofit for uh, a few years. And, uh, and during that time period, I started learning more and more, like reading Tim Ferriss's work. Mm -hmm. uh, And it wasn't until 2016 that I actually cracked the code on bringing on actual, like excellent virtual assistants. And that one is when my organization uh, shifted to the United States and became a national mentorship program. And uh, yeah, once I did it, it was a game changer because yeah. I have a team now of, of seven uh, assistants 
running all wow. the back end operations and having uh having that is um is so much easier because i can focus on the things that i'm really good at and right. delegate the things that aren't my strengths right so again t- tell me a little bit about how this technology works if i'm if i'm running a nonprofit. And, you know, I'm overwhelmed like most nonprofit leaders are because there's never enough time, money, people available. How would I incorporate this technology into to, into our operations? And I love that you call it technology. It's like a people technology. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I, I have very simple solutions for how to do that or strategies. So the first thing that I would do is I would sit down and write a list of the things that are that one has to do every day from the time that they wake up to the time that they go to bed at night. And, uh, and then going through that and then asking on that list, like what requires me to actually perform that task? Or what can I delegate that I would be okay with it being delegated at about 85 to 90% accuracy at first. And very quickly, uh, one sees there's just basic things like ordering stuff on Amazon, things in one's like buying gifts for donors, managing the CRM. Uh, I mean, obviously, it can't take care of carpool for the kids, um, but things like basic bookkeeping, logging receipts, Sending and responding to emails, uh, writing up drafts of specific things. And so often, I have a learning disability um, and as well as being ADHD. So since early on, I always had to create compensatory strategies Mm -hmm. uh, in order to be successful in a world of uh, typical people. So this is the excellent part because I have an assistant that actually sits with me most of the day. Uh, virtually just stays on my phone. And when I have a task, he reminds me of the tasks. He says, okay, we got to do this now. He structures my day. He corresponds on my appointments. I mean, sometimes it's tough just going back and forth to book appointments and it can take 10, 20, 30 minutes. And so I, um, I always recommend to folks to be able to look at the task, the task uh, list of their day and then to do the same thing then for the week and then the same thing for the month right and then sit down when identifying a virtual assistant and, and go through that and have that conversation with them and and it's you know the list thing is i think that's a big deal for everybody because you look at your list and there's always more than you know you're going to be able to get to so you have to prioritize what's my highest and best use is my highest and best use you know, in the nonprofit world, is that talking with a donor or is that me, you know, organizing receipts for, for taxes or whatever it may be, you know, the list can become just overwhelming. And, and I I heard a comment that you said once that I really like, and this helps you work on your business in your business. So, you know, can you give us some examples about how that really, you know, helped you when you were leading your own nonprofits? So I think it's the idea uh, for working on the business rather than in the business is freeing up brain space to innovate, to push, to have the ability to look critically and not be stuck in the weeds. So I'll give you an example. Recently, um, we needed to do a website rebrand 
Uh, it's been six years. There's hipper ways for things to look since right. our engagement right. group is Gen Z's. And, uh, and so the website itself, uh, our board members kind of gave us ideas in our marketing committee. And then I sat down with our VA, who's a graphic designer and web developer, uh, for whom I pay $10 an hour too. Wow. And, um, and so she very quickly got what I was describing and revamped the full website within about a week. She had a, a new website developed. And our website's pretty complex because we have a Google Ads grant and there has to be like many different pages in order to optimize it. So she had to yeah. go through each and every page. Um, I probably would have spent close to ten to fifteen thousand dollars if I were oh, to hire someone stateside for in sure. order to do that. Plus, probably another three to five thousand on rebranding the organization, and it just ended up costing me a, three, a few thousand bucks wow. for for everything going across. So, what the example of that is is that. I would have being when I just started off as like a super lean nonprofit where I was running it, I probably would, I know as a fact, I would have done that myself and it right. would have kept me away from like fundraising, absolutely, like friend raising, running programs. I mean, the reason that I'm actually in this, it would have pulled me away from it. So that's right. where working on it and being able to direct uh, my assistance is has been a real game changer. I mean, just another example is we when the pandemic came, um, most of our programs, like so many people were in person. Mm-hmm. So we shifted to online. And one of the ways that we did, um, just like you, is um, we we started a podcast. Well, actually, we started two podcasts, yeah. but we started a podcast. It's expensive and time consuming and tedious to start a podcast, to mm-hmm. line up the people to be interviewed, to do mm-hmm. the outreach, to teach like to teach the students how to record their episodes. So. Right. Something that I did was I was required to teach the students and coach them how to record a podcast episode. As far as the editing and each of those pieces, like I had my assistants do it. And so it was done, it was done quickly and it just wasn't ended up, it didn't end up being just another project that went into the, to the drawer or the bin. So was there, before you started Super Virtuals, was there kind of an aha moment for you when it's like, this is a niche that I can fill with super virtuals and that will really benefit people. Cause I love when you were talking about career up now, that's kind of the story of every great nonprofit. There's a huge need and there's somebody willing to step up that really might not know what they're doing, but they see the need and they will, they're willing to step up and try and fill it. So was there an aha moment for you in this process where it's like, I can step up and create this uh, organization that can help people with virtual assistance? Yeah, it was. It's funny that you asked that. My aha moment came uh, when my wife said to me, "You can't keep helping people for free. You aren't running a charity." Uh, so I had a lot of my nonprofit and business friends reaching out to me, saying, "Like, hey, Brad, we see the work that you're doing. I was I was posting a lot about it on social media, um, and they're like, can I get a VA?" And so I was just like lending them my VAs. And which became problematic. So uh, both the right. for profits and nonprofits. And my wife was like, "We need to make money. Like you should turn this into a business." And so I was like, "Aha! 
that is something that I should do because as a nonprofit professional of a yeah. nonprofit, small nonprofit, like right. I mean, we have a kid on the way, like we don't make a ton right. of money. Right. Um, and, and that was, that was definitely my aha moment of finding something that I'm really good at that other people are looking for that I can help like deliver that with excellence uh, based upon my background and experience. Do you find when people do this, do they have difficulties letting go of some of this stuff. Cause I, I know, you know, you've probably worked with a lot of, I would call them old school folks that are, that are hands-on. What kind of mindset does it take for somebody to really fully let go and take advantage of, of, of VA? Yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head, which is willingness to let go. Yeah. The will, the ability to delegate, which delegation is for most people a learned skill. Totally. And part of that being trust. So we work with a lot of rabbis um, and rabbis are really busy people uh, oh, because they're doing besides doing weddings and funerals like they're they're out in the community and they're meant right. to be there. They're not meant to be like taking pictures of the receipts or <laughs> right. like keeping up with their books or right. whatever the case may be. So. What I found, and this is a this is a, a grand example because people get the idea of clergy and how busy they are, um, which is clergy work. Uh, many the the clergy that was successful versus those who weren't were the ones that were able to say, you know, I I don't expect it to be perfect. I want for people to the person that works with me to be me be with me for a long period of time. And I want to uh, I want to have the ability to coach them and work with them and help them become independent. So yeah. they're really fueling the pieces and I can just hand it off to them, whether it's via voice note, whether it's via email, managing emails. And the other part is that they think of ideas like they they do their own research like they'll go right. on google and say what tasks can i give to virtual assistants and then it kind of spurs off ideas of like oh yeah i could definitely use help with someone to do research on every appointment fundraising appointment i'm going to go on and to pull up a whole profile on the people oh, that's awesome what's, what's the most recent facebook update that they did and when they in the articles that morning and then to go into that and be so prepared is so meaningful to our constituents, uh, their congregants and uh, donors. And to do, to have to do that themselves or, you know, nobody can really afford to have a staff person that could do that. That opens up a whole nother. So instead of meeting with two people and having that kind of level of research behind them. Now they can probably meet with 10 or 15 or 20. So it, it the ROI has got to be tremendous. Yeah. And I think the other part of those that are are successful are ones that have the ability to put something in place called SOPs or standard operating yep. procedures. So something that I advise all of our clients um, is that they document everything, like go onto Zoom with your VA or even get a software called Loom where you can screen record and talk through the different tasks that you're doing. So for example, um, we were, uh, Iggy is my, is my lead virtual assistant mm -hmm. and he and I were, were doing like a PSA and have to audition people for a PSA. So I was talking through with him, like, 
how we should respond to each person. Like how, like, what if they say this? What if they say that? We were reviewing them and he was just reading them to me. I'm not a, I, it takes me a long time to like type or write. Right. Um, and so I was just telling him what, what to do. He was recording it. And then he actually went through and created like a step-by-step of what to do. And then he has also then the ability in case he gets, he got the mumps recently, um, but he's better now. Uh, he can then delegate that to one of our other VAs. Um, right. So not so balls don't end up being dropped. Yeah. And again, I love it because it 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 is just like you're saying, it's it's what are my strengths and what are kind of my soft spots? I can find somebody to, that can handle those maybe even better than I could myself, which gives me more time to do what I do well and and to really maybe advance our business or or advance our nonprofit. Yeah, I mean, I'll ask you a question. Like, what's something that you don't have time to do right now that you'd really like to do? Yeah, that's a great question. The editing piece of the of these podcasts takes me a while. I like doing it, and this is my problem. I'm a I'm a DIYer, so I I love doing stuff myself. But then I'll look up, and it's like, oh my gosh, this took me 90 minutes that I really probably could have done, you know, more client engagement or outreach or 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 things like that. So it's for me, I love the DIY piece, but again, I look at it and go, is it highest and best use of my time? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's true. And I think the other thing is that so often as professionals, our personal lives bleed into our professional lives. Right. So for example, right now, my wife and I are expecting this upcoming month and we have lots of doctor's appointments to go to, but I'm not great at calendaring. So my wife messages my assistant and says, Hey, Iggy, make sure that these are on Brad's <laughs> on his calendar. calendar this week. And if he has appointments at that time, reschedule them. And then he goes and because re- rescheduling is also like a, a pain to yeah. like look at the schedule. Right. And so he just takes care of it and it's done. And I'm like, oh, this That's is great. great. You're I out of he, all the back and forth and all of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's and the fantastic. other part is sleeping at night. So what I found is I, my, all of my assistants are in, uh, all my super virtuals, all my assistants are in the Philippines and they work while I'm sleeping. Some, mm. many do work during the day as well, but like I have mine that are like the overnight shift. So I give them everything that I would like to have done by the time I wake up in the morning. And then I don't have to wake up in a panic that I need to do this, 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 and this. Uh, I can sleep much better because oh, I know yeah. when I wake up, work's going to be done already. That's awesome. So it's peace of mind. It's all of it. Can you can you share with us a, a favorite success story from a client or a famous a favorite success story of yours of somebody who's really implemented this and and taken great advantage of it? Yeah, there's one nonprofit that we work with, and I I love this story. They had over ten thousand donors wow. within their organization. And students and you know, industry leaders and donor everything else on a, a and, and their, yeah and their sales force and um, they're a large nonprofit at least in the Jewish world they're a fairly large nonprofit uh, their yearly budget I think is like seven or eight million uh, and so but they didn't have a lot of data collected on these donors. And they had expensive software that they had purchased in order to do like donor research on them. Right. 
they didn't have the bandwidth to do it. They were spending you know, five, 10,000 a year across their different donor research platforms. And so they approached me and said, like, what can you do with this? We want to know, like, what college did these people go to? What's their net worth? What organizations have they given yeah. to? Do they have a family? I mean, lots and lots of a huge and they were getting quotes for like between like 30 and $50,000 to do the task because it was it was dozens of hours of work. Uh, and they were, and they needed it done quickly because they had a big yeah. campaign coming up. Right. So we were able to sit down. We did it in about two weeks. Wow. Um, and they ended up fortunately raising a lot because of the work that we did about $4 million. Wow. So it was a big success. Um, and they continue to use that instead of just like the database being a place to collect. It actually empowers their development officers right, to totally. understand and go out. And that's that was, I think, a, a huge operational success story, both in freeing up time for development officers, freeing up time that programs should be focused on, and basically underwriting the year's budget with a, with a massive fundraising campaign. Well, and that that data bringing that data to life. So it, it creates relationships and everything else. That's, um, that's gold in the, in the development world. And to do that level of research where you can go out and, and be armed with that is, is fabulous. So what are some of the principles, leadership principles and things that have guided you throughout your career and, and now while you're running super virtuals? Yeah. So my family growing up, we traveled the world. And one of the things that my mom and dad taught me was that things, people do things differently, not wrong in other places. I love that. And just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong, right? That's, that's awesome. So the first thing that I do since my assistants are in the Philippines is I, I, an important part is understanding their culture, not Western culture, right. um, but understanding Eastern culture. Now, fortunately in the Philippines, their native language uh, is English and Tagalog. So they're fluent in English, but the way that they work together is quite remarkable. So they work better together collaboratively. They don't have a sense of com competition doesn't motivate them. Uh, they are really connected in a meaningful way to family and providing for their family. Um, they're, they hustle, but they hustle so that they can make money for their family, not for right. the purpose of advancement. And so from a leadership perspective, getting to know the, the culture and the drive and the background of the individuals with whom we're working enables us to, to be more successful. I'll give you an example. Like here, part of Western culture is like talking about the great things that you do. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not a part of their culture. So we found in team meetings, um, that, uh, that we were like, okay, say your highlight of the week. That is not something that they feel comfortable sharing around others, even though they spend all of their time together. Right. Um, and so that, that is a really, that's a really big thing to know. And, and, and through that, from a leadership perspective, it's just having those conversations and running ideas because the problem with many people is they look at their, uh, their virtual assistants as being robots or as not being human beings, mm -hmm. just being like as people to do things and getting to know them and their family and their culture, uh, not only strengthens the relationship, but it, it does it in a way such that they are so tied to you as a person. So 
I'll give you an example. There's a lot of natural disasters in the Philippines, like horrible natural disasters mm-hmm. where houses get flooded and people get right. pulled into the ocean. It's really sad. So when our um, VAs have a family critical emergency, we listen to them. We're there to provide them some financial support. And that keeps them loyal and with us. And it, at the same time, as it saves us a ton. Yeah. Uh, and the and the and the long term and short term because then we don't have to hire new people. That is for anybody listening. That is a great principle that doesn't apply that applies universally in your own company. You've got a culture and you need to figure out ways to connect with people. And and just because they do something different doesn't mean it's wrong. That should be a poster I might make. <laughs> um, nice. <laughs> at, at, so I think that's a universal thing, not just if you're dealing with somebody in the Philippines, that's somebody if you're dealing with them in the next office. So that's that's such a great principle. But what makes you excited about the future other than your your upcoming child, of course, but what really gets you excited uh, looking forward? So I am always excited that there's always problems in the world and that there's the opportunities to solve them. Uh, I, I, for better or for worse, uh, judge my success on the number of lives I've impacted. So um, with the simple solutions that I come up with. So for example, in numbers, when I was a special education teacher, there was a problem with metadata tracking in among students with special needs because they all yeah. have their own individual objectives. So I created a, a, a metadata tracking system that then was adopted by for about 20,000 students um, in order to track that data. So then I can say, okay, great. This impacted 20,000 students plus their families. And so that's like, I've, I've made a significant difference in tens of thousands of lives. Uh, so, you know, I'm you know, probably in the hundreds of thousands of lives at wow. this point and really would like to be, to do something. And I know it's out there where I can positively impact millions of lives. Oh, I haven't done it so quite is. yet, but I'm, I'm excited that there's the opportunity to, uh, to make the world a better place. There's this Jewish idea of tikkun olam, um, repairing the world. And uh, that's the belief of what our mission is, why we're placed here on this world is to repair the injustices, repair, um, create opportunities. And so um, I'm always excited about that opportunity to uh, repair the world. Awesome. Well, as we wind down, I'll change gears a little bit. What's something that you will read, listen to, or watch today? Oh, today. Okay. So I could give like a really cliche answer. And this is probably (laughs) also like, I don't know for better, for, for what it is. So I spend a lot of time listening to audio on spirituality. Uh, my soul is is eternal and my body is temporal Love so that. the more i can enrich my soul the the greater connection that i have with god or the universe or whatever one might refer it to and that's good so something that i'll def we're as I mentioned, I'm Jewish. We celebrate uh, we celebrate Shabbat. So each week, we, I'm Orthodox Jewish. So we take 25 hours. We shut all technology down. Uh, we don't do the lights. We don't do the and we, and we just spend the time 
with family and learning spirituality. And that's every single week. So wow. every week there's a Torah portion, like a portion yep. from the the old from the old testament, from the mm-hmm. five books of Moses that's read. And so I spend time listening to audios pertaining to that because there's a belief in Judaism that that is not just like a book. It's that it's actually something that's happening and there's a something to learn from it in one's life or the world. So I'm going to be looking at how does this week's uh, Torah portion specifically apply to my life and how can it enhance and brighten and help me do more good in the world. Fantastic. Who would you say has been a real role model for you in the work you've done over your career? Oh, gosh, that's a tough one. That's a tough. That's Sophie's choice, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, gosh. Wow. Um, so I, I, you know, I have one person that I would mention. His name is David Siegelman. Uh-huh. It's something simple, but I so often in the nonprofit world as executive directors, we're pushed to like scale, like push, yep. push, push. And it becomes stressful. And if you're a founder, like, or for whatever reason, but I can speak especially as a founder, that it's like, it's it becomes a bit overwhelming and it makes you potentially not enjoy what you're doing during the times that success wow. one's perspective isn't being accomplished. Right. And so I was in Australia with David at, at a, at a, innovation summit and his organization gets funded by like all the big funders in the Jewish world. And my organization is small and his organization started off small, but he had a series of events and he said, he said, Brad, uh, don't kill yourself in like the work that you're doing because you won't then be able to do it. You'll burn out. And he said, if you're really caring about like large grants and funders, do good work, stay in front of them and that'll, and it'll come at the right time. And that was a huge, huge relief that keeps me because when, uh, when something comes up, you know, I know everything's for the good. Uh, when we're having a tough year, uh, I can work harder, but it's it's only the work that I can put in and everything's yep. the way that it's meant to be and people will see the good. That's great advice. So other than Super Virtuals, uh, is there an organization out there that you really admire and would love to give a shout out to? I mean, Jay, other than the work that you're doing or can uh, that be uh, can can that be the one that I'll I, take I it that I give a shout out to. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> lastly, and probably most importantly, if anybody wants to learn more about super, super virtuals, uh, look at becoming a client, which I would recommend. Uh, how do they find you? Super virtuals dot com. So. Super virtuals dot com. That's simple. Or- if they want to be just like ask me questions or be a resource, I'm always happy to like uh, volunteer my time. If people have questions or that's helpful, you can find me on LinkedIn at Bradley Caro Cook or Facebook, Bradley Caro Cook. Like I'm the same. I'm the only one of me. So it's not like John. Ah. It's not like Jay Clark. Ah, funny. Well, this has been <laughs> fabulous. We'll put all that in the show notes. Uh, Dr. Cook, I'm grateful for your time. Good luck with the new baby uh, and keep up the great work. Thank you for having me. Stay well. Happy New Year. Thanks for listening. And I hope you learned some great lessons from Dr. Cook like I did, not only about virtual assistants, but about connecting with other people. This podcast was brought to you by JC Charity and Event Services. If you're interested in how I can bolster your efforts or help your team achieve its goals, I'd love to have a conversation with you. 
You can find me at makingourworldbetter.com. To learn more about Super Virtuals, visit supervirtuals.com or follow Bradley Carroll Cook on LinkedIn or Facebook. Check the show notes for links. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd be grateful if you'd share it with a friend. Until next time, I hope you're inspired to find a way to make our world better.